Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are and if you do don't forget to subscribe recommend it to a friend leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think and yeah really hope you enjoy this episode right fuck it we're back with episode i don't know episode one season two of the midnight pod and we have Hugo Tilmouth. As usual, I've done fuck all research about my guests and I like <laughs> to get to know them on the spot. You might notice we have a new setup, which I've been getting gas about for the past half an hour. <laughs> Beanbags, new light, the OG Neon Beach sign. I'm super comfy here. Yeah. Loving life. And, and two new blue neon-esque bars. This is probably the vibe I always wanted with the pod. Never quite got it right, but I feel like this is way cozy in before. Yeah. And Sun's going down, neon's going up, love it. This is exactly the vibe, yeah. It's, it's actually 11 months almost to the day since the first ever episode, which is fucking mad. Wow. And that, that was the Neon Beach episode, which I, I think you have to watch now, because Hugo said he knew about the brand, but didn't know about the scandal, which I is know. actually probably a nice compliment for once regarding that <laughs> business. But um, yeah, I guess to dive straight into things, you're not an e-com founder, which I'm is... Not. A bit different, but well, I'm trying to... I have to... an experience of e-com, which I'll tell you about. <laughs> yeah, just pull that mic a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, about there, sweet. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to expand the pod. Lucy is now booking, if you're watching. Thanks for booking, Hugo. Um, the first <laughs> Lucy's legend. Yeah, great. And yeah, trying to expand into like different founders. As with a lot of founders in London, we feel like we probably have a lot of mutual friends, network, etc., etc. And yeah, I'm just interest, interested to hear your story, really, because raise a shitload of money, have a cool business. You're only like three months older than me. <laughs> which fucking makes me feel either very unsuccessful or very old at the same time likewise <laughs> yeah it's all relative but um i guess first question as always is who are you what do you do and we'll dive into a billion things yeah and just so, tell me everything hopefully you can fill up a good hour plus of content because i'm rusty <laughs> after two months no pod love it um so a bit of a bit of a crazy journey so far synopsis is uh five years ago founded a business called charged up um, phones run out of charge when you're out and about. So we, we solved it by bringing the Boris bike model to phone charging. You rent a power bank in a pub, bar, wherever, pick it up. It's all, all charged, ready to go. Plug it into your phone, drop it somewhere else. Um, and yeah, launched that business, uh, scaled it to over 3,000 locations all over the UK, internationally, etc. cetera. Um, COVID hit, tried to kill us. Um, we built a sanitizer brand doing a million quid a month, sold that business. And now we, uh, we founded a, a third business called uh, Served Up, uh, which is basically doing payments in hospitality, making it easier to order a pint, pay for it. And yeah, that's basically the journey so far. It's been a wild five years, lots of learning. and uh, So three things primarily. Yeah. The phone charging, yep. sanitizer, temporary business, which yep. you exited from. Yep. And then you've got the the EPOS stuff. Yep. So how does that how does that even come about? Because <laughs> econ for me, 
like how I got into the, sh- the shit I do was always very like, I used to design logos, then I had a t-shirt brand, then I had another brand and sort of just developed gradually. But like, where'd you come up with the idea to get into something which sounds very like tech and money heavy, Yeah, I would imagine, compared to other stuff? You know, it's different to starting just a Shopify store and sort of gradually scaling, which is what I did initially. Yeah. But like, where's that come from? I saw something online about, it was like a uni project. It, it kind of was, so yeah. So I did a tiny bit of research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a weird one. I, I was at uni, I was doing masters in uh, renewable energy. I was like, I was studying like how batteries work and all this crazy stuff. I realized pretty early days that I didn't want to be an engineer. Like I always wanted to do something in tech. I interned at a load of company like tech companies um one of them was a company called tilt doing payments like oh, yeah. allowing you yeah, to pay back them. each other yeah super cool company eventually got acquired by airbnb but um i learned like loads working with those guys i, I built like a you know ambassador network um at my uni and you know had a great time learning about basically how tech companies work um mm. and off the back of you know that inspiration another company as well um and I, I basically was like, I don't know. It seems it seems like there's very low risk at just trialing something. You know, I'm I'm coming out of uni. What's the downside? Like, I can either go and get a real job now or go get a real job in a year. Yeah. So why don't I just try this thing? And if it works out, you know, uh, I can I can you know live my dream and build a company and what have you. And if it doesn't, I'll go and get a real job like everyone else. And yeah, I guess like five years later, I haven't had to get the real job yet, but. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a bit of a bit of a kind of rogue one to to just go straight into the tech world, but I think it all came originally from I I, I was basically running out of charge. Like the, the the original story is I was at Lord's Cricket Ground. Is this with, a real story? Is this, this is, like a this PR is story? actually a legit story. Slightly twisted for PR. I'll tell you the twist. But yeah. um, I was at Lord's Cricket Ground and I was waiting. I was, I was for some reason I thought I was going to apply for a job at Microsoft. Um, like terrible idea. Anyway, I was uh, I was waiting to hear back from them for for this job, and you know my phone was going down and down, and the I was waiting for this email to come through later in the day, and I ended up basically like I was too paranoid to like let my phone go out of charge, so I went out, bought a power bank from some random shop, and yeah, basically paid 20 quid as a student to charge my phone for one day. And I just had, this is like six months, maybe a year later, I had this light bulb moment of, you know, surely why, why would you pay 20 quid to charge your phone if you could just borrow a power bank? Like, you know, I was using Boris bikes every day, Mm. um, going around London back, back in the day when they didn't have, you know, sharing scooters and all this kind of stuff. Sharing cars. Yeah. They're they're great. Like they've gone right downstairs. Yeah. Um, but like, this idea that you can just like pick up the bike, use it and then drop it off somewhere else. I just thought that was super cool. And it's obviously better for the environment because everyone doesn't need to like own a bike themselves. Mm. It's way more convenient. And, you know, this kind of usership model, um, it wasn't really a big thing back then, um, but it's obviously come in and become huge with like Bird and Lime and, you know, all these like scooter sharing zip car you know, there's ton, like there's loads of companies jumped on that kind of sharing economy model. Yeah. Um, and I basically wanted to bring that to batteries. You know, I thought power banks, it's way cheaper products, like it's £10 for a battery or whatever, you know, and then you put them in a little dock or something, build an app, 
the the app shows you where it is and then allows you to release a battery um built all of that stuff you know with a with a team out in india for the for the development stuff and then um you know flew out to china sourced found a factory out there like had some crazy times doing all of that mm, yeah um, to china it's chaos it's i love it i absolutely love it it's so cool um but uh yeah it was it was all it was all kind of very like makeshift like i didn't know what i was doing you know and it was just kind of you know asking people questions googling just figuring it out as you go along but yeah somehow we uh we managed to get a product to work <laughs> and launched it quick one bellas you probably heard a few months ago i dropped an e-com course a very fucking guru of me but it's not that i promise you zero to one how to start a brand from scratch with no budget some budget a bit of budget take your idea from a bedroom to reality to potentially seven eight figures in sales like i've done a few times based on my seven years of experience in the trenches and my current experience building my current brand space goods it's no bullshit no frills we've had like 75 people go through so far not a single person has asked for a refund plenty of people have actually built some seriously impressive shit covers every aspect of the business not just the front end stuff like most gurus on YouTube and Twitter are talking about, not just product, market and all that shit, but the real shit, the logistics, the back end, the supply chain, the customer service, the finances as well. This covers the whole spectrum, every part, 12 hours of video. If you're interested in scaling a brand, zero to one, actually turning our idea finally into a reality, then click the link below, go check out Learn Real Commerce course and let me know what you think. I'd be glad to have you in there. Let's fucking go. How... Because one thing I initially think, and it's obviously wrong, like as iPhones and stuff has got have got better charging, did that become le- like? Did you ever think this product is becoming potentially more redundant? I or, think or, like or is that long term? Like surely they have to figure it out. But yeah. since we started, like obviously if you buy like the iPhone Max Plus, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, Pro Max, which I've got three of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you buy that one, obviously it has great battery like for a year, but most people aren't buying those. Like the majority of people yeah, are buying true. like a secondhand one or they keep it for like three, four years, whatever. Um, and, you know, the, the data shows it from our network, like our rentals per site have only gone up over the years. Mm. Like people continue to use it. So, yeah, Apple keeps claiming that batteries are getting better, but like, I don't, I don't see it yet. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And where, where did you put them initially? Like, how, how much of a business was this, like, straight away? Like, what was the pipeline? Had you finished uni or what? Yeah, so I finished uni. Uh, I, I had, like, 300 quid to put into the company. Like, literally nothing to, to start this thing. Enough to register a domain name. Though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we, first bit of money actually came from, you, like, the uni. I, went, I pitched to X to uni and was like, guys, I, I want to start this company. Um, and they, they gave us five grand or something to, yeah. to like, kick it off. Um, and we had to, like, prove a load of stuff, write a business plan, all this kind of stuff. Mm. But, like, it was enough to get us started, which was which was amazing. And then, you know, then we won a couple of competitions. Who's like, us? Is there co-founders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, some uh, some original guys uh, who, no, unfortunately, no longer no longer working with us. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, super helpful in early days. Um, Is it just you now, then? Uh, of the of, of the original original, the original uh, three that started from uni, yeah, people yeah. obviously, uh, you know, it's 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 all everyone has their different paths, and uh, yeah, like the the, the guys are, are going on and smashing it in in other and other other fields, um, but uh, but not in the the kind of startup startup world, yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, so so we we kind of started that, um, and with like literally no money, like we were we were like 
really kind of you know strapping it together we we were like sticking stickers on batteries and like numbering them so that we could then like rent them to people like it was yeah. it was really janky like it wasn't good um but you you know you gotta you gotta like figure out a way of showing that people were going to pay for your products like i think um it was actually the dude that i pitched for the money at my uni um he was like read this book it's the mvp the 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 lean lean startup yeah, yeah, model yeah classic it's like it's actually so good and you know it's i i do genuinely recommend it to so many people now um like if you can very quickly figure out how to like prove if your business is going to work with as little money and as little time as possible mm. even if it's like full concierge mode like we went to a festival with 200 batteries with stickers on them um and we were able to make three grand over those days like oh, renting shit. out batteries and it's like okay so proof if we concept. weren't there and if we just had like a unit that rented those maybe there's a big business there and mm. it, it was it was like doing those little tiny tests that kind of proved not only to other people but even to us like that this was a legit business because no one did it like the the closest thing to it was like little charging lockers in westfield or whatever yeah um and uh it's quite a nice moment when we we ripped them out and put our units into the westfield in, in london that was quite like a nice full circle thing yeah, yeah. um but uh but yeah like you, you got to do these like tiny little tests to i guess see if your if your business is going to work um Definitely. and being super young at the time um you know, you you can't you can't spend a million quid building an app and you know, you know building a load of hardware to then figure out that you know no one cares about it. Yeah, very true. So timeline wise, you, you dropped out, but well, you finished uni. You yep. completed the degree, or whatever. He's going to jump onto you in a second. He's, <laughs> he's in every episode. I love it. He's like the co-host. He's so cute. <laughs> Did you have like obviously you got five grand from the uni? Yeah that doesn't strike me as enough to start a business and like pay yourself and shit and not oh, have no. alternative income. Did you have a job at the time initially? Like, so, so what I, was the I, plan? At uni, and kind so, of going back even further, I, I, I basically founded an events company at uni, yeah. um, which was like proper kind of, uh, uh, you know, startup lessons, like trying to mm. hire people. Um, you know, events is crazy. Like it's such a mad industry. Um, everything's last minute. You know, the dude with that you that you like got to do DJing tonight. He'll just not turn up, and then you yeah. have to like find someone in five I hours. I never got into that in uni. I went to all the events, but I never. Honestly, like I, I never think became it's, a promoter or anything like that. Yeah, it's the it's kind of the the like natural thing to do at uni because it's yeah. where most of the money goes. Yeah. Is like no one has much money. The money that they do have, they spend on drinks and events. Girls and money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, basically set up the, it was called Immersion Events. It was great fun. Um, we were like running the parties for most of the societies. We had mm. like a, a weekly uh, like club night. Um, and then we threw these like big parties like once a term. And that's where the real money was. Um, yeah. But it was, it was like, it was sick. I saved some money from that. So I didn't have to pay myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was able to do on like, real scrimping you know i was living with the parents like yeah. not making you know it wasn't i wasn't living lavishly um but i was able to do about a year with no salary um so we we didn't pay ourselves for the first year which is you know part of the reason why one of the guys wasn't able to like stay with it for yeah for a full year because you know it's quite tough um but uh but yeah i was able to to save a bit of money doing that um and then yeah basically go into it and just 
like full on ramen lifestyle you know like taking taking the train and then switching stations so that you could like you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> figure out how to uh, reduce really your bad. ticket bill <laughs> um you know all of that kind of stuff and uh but you you know you've got to do it if you if you believe in this thing and you know there's no, there's no other route so either either you prove it and you know get to a point where investors will give you money or you're making enough money from it um and we definitely weren't going to get to that with a you know a tech company that was like super small at that point mm. um and and so it was like yeah we just got to got to figure this out and we were able to obviously we we won some more competitions uh like like startup competitions and stuff getting like 20 grand here 30 grand there whatever um and then eventually we actually got some investors who somehow backed us um we met them through like uh this like virgin crowd boost program yeah um which we joined and uh they they introduced us and then um for whatever reason they saw something in what we were building um and and decided to back us for 200 grand um and yeah that was kind of that was like validation i guess that like we were we weren't just like you know some kids in a in in a how, made how up long, startup. How long into the business at that point were you like in terms that's, of proof that's of like concepts? one year? So we'd already at that point we'd already uh, built most of the app out. It didn't like fully work, mm. um, but we built most of the stuff on that, uh, and we'd we'd already um, sourced the factory in China, partnered with them, gone out there, and uh, been able to like actually get a product that that you know worked ish yeah um, we did we need to do a lot of like a lot of stuff to make it actually work but mm. um yeah we we managed to like partner with those guys within the first year before we raised like some money um and, and was that still like all founders living at home working from home scrappy yeah, setup? yeah 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 like proper proper scrappy stuff i think we i think we had a, an intern um at that point as well but it was like you know no one was paying themselves it was mm. uh it was yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, um, and then yeah, I guess once we had that money in, you think, oh my god, we're set for life. You know, we've got two hundred grand in the yeah. bank. Um, pretty quickly disappears, especially when you've got a hardware business. Like, you know, if you want to if you want to order hardware, like most of the money that you get for the investment has to go out straight out the yeah, door so into China. As a business model, at that point, h- how did it work? Again, my ignorance being an ecom. Yeah. How does it look? So you were buying the hardware, the charging stations, yep. then renting them effectively per hour on an app. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a weird one. It's like our customer is like the venue. So we do mm. a deal with, you know, the local pub, whatever, the guys downstairs. Yeah. Um, we, we They will host the unit for us. So it sits in up on the bar, plugged in. Uh, it has like a 4G SIM card in it, so it's connecting up. Mm. Um, but the person who actually pays for it is the is the dude in the bar or girl in the bar who's like you know one of their customers so it's like b2b2c is the is like the is the so term you, you're for getting it. paid regardless of how many people use it no 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 so like the percentage? so the end guy who goes into the bar he's paying one pound an hour yeah. to rent his battery but the the guys that we do the contract with you know the venue themselves mm. they don't pay anything for it right so it's, okay. it's quite a yeah, weird yeah. model in that sense so like there's two customers but only the end guys are actually paying for it um, mm. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how quickly were were these blocks batteries actually paying for themselves? So, fairly from, quickly, like on a unit basis from day one. Like yeah. the very, it was actually a crazy, crazy day. Like we 
we, we our first venue was in Shoreditch, mm. um, just on Brick Lane. It's a great venue, um, and we um, we basically like we went there. I think at like four p.m. or something with the unit, still like talking to the tech team on on Skype or whatever, trying to make sure that like it was actually going to work, um, and doing all these tests and stuff in the off. You know, just trying to figure out if it was actually going to work in this bar. Mm. Anyway, we plug it in, put it on the bar. And, and just go and sit and the bar's like completely dead and I'm like freaking out like pacing up and down like just yeah. spent a year of my life like building this thing and like no one's going to use it you know and then suddenly the bar starts to fill up and, you know a few few people kind of come in and then just some random some random um, dude just walks up to the station like looks at it gets out his phone downloads the app from the app store and then just rents a battery and it was like it was that moment when I was like Oh God, we're literally, we're on something here. Like this is, yeah. this is going to be big. And we'd done, like there was no marketing. No one had ever seen something like this before, but people just intuitively get it. Like you're in a bar, here's a little charging station, just rent the app and uh, download the app and then rent a battery. Like, and it was, I think we did 10 rentals on that one station that night, which is, which is great. Like that's, that pays for the station a thousand times over. Um, so it's, yeah it was kind of it kind of worked from that very first night which was mm. quite weird it was like this suddenly it just like clicked and then you know it's like oh my god how do we get 10,000 of these things out on the streets and yeah yeah super scale it and how, how do you scale that because like again my approach is always paid ads you know yeah spend one pound get two pound back at yep. scale effectively yeah yeah is it remotely similar no. In a hardware business? <laughs> no. Um, well, I'm sure. Or was I'm it sure like cold lots. calling bars? It was literally like a thousand cells. times. Like we had, we made these backpacks. They were super cool. It was made out of like old drone. Remember like the old drone backpacks? Like yeah, the yeah. Tur- turtle shell. Tur- the GoPro shell Karma. Thing. I used to have one of them. That, that kind I of vibe, that's what yeah. It was. yeah. Um, and we basically like cut out a, a, a thing on the top of it. And basically the, the guys could, the sales guys could go in, open up this battery, uh, this backpack, and then a little charging station would be in there yeah. with a power bank, like running the battery, as, uh, running the station as well. Um, so they could go in and do demos for people. And they were just, they were just like, cleaning up like it was actually very easy sales because if you're a bar owner like you have a load of people going up to the bar being like oh i need to charge my phone can you put it behind the bar all of this um at the time uh where the spoons actually banned it which um was like amazing for us because we just used that it's like yeah. oh you know that your pub could burn down all this kind of stuff um and uh you know it worked it was actually a very easy thing to sell to venues because no risk you just plug it in like mm. it costs you like a quid a month in energy that's like the only thing and yeah. all we ask is when people come and ask to charge their phone you say like go go over there and use that thing like download the app and use and it how much of a percentage of the, the bars like venues taking then they, they don't take anything it's just a convenience thing yeah and that they keep their customers there for longer who exactly. buy more drinks yeah oh shit yeah i would have thought they'd take a percentage or something yeah right. uh, i guess like um, in other markets where this thing's gone way bigger, so in China, mm. this is huge. Like the the company, <clears throat> the biggest company in China, they listed on the Nasdaq for this, um, and they've, they've don't deployed. Even think about things like that. I know it's mad. One of those like silent businesses. Yeah, um, they they've deployed like a million stations across China. It's insane. Like yeah. it's so big. But um, where was I going with this? Out there, there's so much competition. Like 
basically people are like bidding each other up on how mm. much revenue share they'll give to the venue. So one dude will go and be like, oh, I'll give you 20%. The other guy goes, oh, I'll give you 40. Yeah. Apparently he was getting to like 70% at one point. Yeah. Um, and then a load of them in COVID obviously like fell by the wayside. Yeah. Like as should we have probably fallen by the wayside, but we uh, we, we did some pretty rogue stuff to uh, to make enough money to keep going. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a mad time so far. So up to COVID then, where did the business go up to that point? Because I know you mentioned the hand sanitizers and stuff and we'll get on to that. But like you raised the 200K. After that, like how long before COVID was that? So like, where does that bring us to? Like 2018? You're trying it? It's really good. He's trying the rainbow dust at, <laughs> eight, eight, at 9 p.m. Quarter past nine. Product placement here. It tastes like a Nesquik. Um, it's like a magic It's really chocolate. chocolatey. It's really good. Well, yeah, some of us say it's too chocolatey. No, so, I like it. I like it. Yeah, it does taste good, to be fair, given yeah. what's in it. It's, it's very healthy. <laughs> it's got like 20 calories, so I could work on that. could be calorie-free. Love but, it. But um, that's going to keep you up to fucking midnight now, at least. <laughs> that's what I need. Keep you speaking to midnight. Yeah, so up to COVID, like, time timeline-wise, that 200K comes in. When was that? Like 2018? Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, two years before COVID. So yeah, 2018, we were kind of like, like it was, it was like a legit business at that point. It was no longer just like some kids, you know, uh, playing with some hardware. Um, it was, uh, it was like a real thing. We had investors to answer to, Mm. you know, quite quickly after we got the 200 grand, um, and launched, we then went out and actually raised 1.2 million, which it was, it was like a big step up. Right then, fellas, quick one. First official sponsor for the Midnight Pod, Triple Whale. If you want to track your econ metrics properly, all your KPIs, all your dashboards, all your blended ROAS, all that good shit, and an easy-to-understand dashboard, as well as proper post-iOS 14 pixel tracking. Know your real numbers, because I didn't in the past, and I got it very wrong. Know where to spend more money, know where to spend less money, all the shit that's going to drive your brand forward. It's what I use every day in my new brands, in the past brands. It's what all the guys on the pod running super successful businesses use as well, and it's what you should be using. TripleWhale.com. Go click the link below, check it out, and use my link. Support the fucking pod. Let's go, boys. Where were we? Yeah, so 1.2 million comes in. Yep. Real business. You're probably, what, you were 23 at this point? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we've got we've got investors investors to answer to. So, yeah, in order to get that 1.2 million, we, we, we were doing some crazy stuff. Like, you know, we got these investors on board, like angel investors. You know, yeah. It's very, very different, like, <clears throat> ball game. Yeah, so we we've raised this this uh, this two hundred k, and we are like, how are we going to get some more money to do this? We need mm. we need some serious cash in order to buy hardware in order to properly launch this business. You know, it's all very well having. I think we've got a hundred sites at that point. So you know, we had a hundred locations across London that were really liking the product. Users were naturally discovering it when they went out to bars. Yeah, um, and. You know, it was it, it was working. Like the early traction was there, but obviously it it needs to be in a lot more places. So mm. um, we we basically we built this like bot on LinkedIn that would go through and like search for anyone with uh, investor in their title and London as the location, really? and it would it was running on like four of I think we had the, it was basically like a few of our. Um, uh, like LinkedIn's just adding people and like doing a connect message and just being like, yeah. okay, so, uh, you know, little teaser or whatever, if you're interested, you know, we'll send you some more details or whatever. And we were just running this thing like 24 seven. And 
like one of the people it connected with ended up being uh, Jamjar Investments, who are like literally- They emailed me two no months way. ago. No way. I had a call with them. They I are... told them I don't need the money. I said, speak to me in a year. <laughs> so if you're watching, speak to me in a year and give me five million quid. Um, yeah, it was funny, small world. They are, they're sick. Like they are probably the best consumer VC like in Europe. Yeah, um, Richard Reed's the founder, isn't he? Yeah, innocent, Richard Reed is the innocent drinks. guys. Yeah. Like Richard, um, Adam um, and uh, John, like they're, mm. Uh, three guys who again kind of came out of uni love the story I was looking at their portfolio it's like every fucking brand that oh it's insane anyone would know yeah um, I, I actually just invested in their, their, their second fund oh yeah um, so technically that's like investing in yourself so I have a tiny tiny portion of yeah. charged up in the uh, <laughs> via funny. their fund which is good I think they're gonna I think they're gonna kill it again like they they did a great job last time so I'm big 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 fan of the uh, the jam jar guys um, but uh, anyway so we're we're like adding all these people on LinkedIn trying to figure out how we're gonna get some like investors on board um, and anyway, the, we, we get into the Jam Jar guys, you know, we, we also then an event bumped into some guy and then he connected us to someone else. It's all like, you know, real like, you know, we didn't know anyone. So it was, yeah. it was like trying to figure out how we were going to get to these people. And uh, yeah, so we ended up getting the Garage Soho, which is John Hegarty and Tom Teichman, like amazing investor mm. um, and, you know, kind of brand like legend, which is which is Sir John. Um, they they decided to to lead the investment round. So they kind of, you know, did a whole load of due diligence into us, like every single element of the company was checked, like it was crazy. Um, but off the back of that, that kind of gave us the stamp, like we've got some good investors on board for this round. Then we started pulling in more angels. We got some other cool people involved. And then obviously Jamjar came in at the end. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was, it kind of all came together very quickly. Um, and it was, you know, it was quite stressful at times because you're like, we either have like 1.2 million or we have nothing because it all rested on everyone coming mm. in. Um, but at the end of it, managed to get the money and, and those guys have continued to, to back us since then um, and continue to support us. They joined our board, you know, we created a board off the back of that. Mm. Um, and uh, they've been super helpful. And obviously, you know, in the first sense in the money, um, actually allowing us to, to buy units to be able to expand. But then off the back of all of that, like actually also, um, you know, advising us, you know, being kind of mentors and um, connecting us with people, connecting us with venues. Like it's it's great to have like this network of people. And, you know, if, if they've done that well, they know a lot of other cool people as well. Yeah, so the network expands and it's like networks is just a, it's an iterative thing. You know, you, you just compound over time. And, uh, you know, you, you will, you will continue to grow that network. And, um, you know, over, over five years, I, I now know quite a lot of investors and, yeah. uh, it's, it, it all started with a, a LinkedIn bot, but you know, you gotta, you gotta hack funny. your way right at the beginning. I right? did an episode with a guy called, um, Vian from Pom Dating. I don't know if you know them. He raised a few million off, off LinkedIn. Oh, no way. Yeah. It's a dating app. Um, and yeah, he's like, he's only like 23, mad impressive, but that's sick. I, I'd never gone down that route because I mean, like I said, it's the first time I'd ever raised money prior to just bootstrapping like mm. Neon Beach, which horrible story, <laughs> which I'm surprised you didn't know about. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, it was like, it was an interesting process because I, probably the opposite to that, I, I had a, a really good network, but I'd never raised money before. So, so I was just like, oh, do, you, do all my mates want to fucking put money into this new thing? Because yeah, yeah they're not all mates some of them are more like contacts and stuff but ultimately they're all mates I've probably been pissed with all of them yeah. and that's generally how 
the, the best people in my network. I've got to know them. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's definitely, I've seen massive benefit to having, obviously money is one thing. That wasn't the main thing I wanted though. It was to not do it alone. Yep. Because I'd always been solo founder prior to that and that's great when things are going well, maybe. But when things go wrong, it's very fucking lonely. And yeah. that's what I learned the hard way. But then, yeah, just having like that mental aspect from people who've been there and done it yeah. to that next level, whether it's e-com or not. And in my case, some of the guys have been e-com, some aren't. But yeah, it's just been a game changer for me, even even in the first four months since launching this. Just like, and it's like you said, like, ne- you know, network is like a spider web. There's like, if, if they know someone that knows someone that knows someone. That's it. And like, every problem is solvable through a network, I think, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the it's the number one question I get off the back of this pod is how do I get a better network? And I'm always like, fucking hell. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think do something interesting and try and be a decent person. Yeah. It's probably a good place to start. But start a, LinkedIn a podcast, bot, that's probably a good a one. LinkedIn bot is another <laughs> place to start. So it's interesting. Yeah, the, the podcast has definitely helped. But um, it's just funny how you can do do things different ways. Yeah, 100%. Like- most people just wouldn't bother. They'd probably say, I'm, you know, I need money to start a business. Where do I get money from? Oh, I don't have rich parents. Well, neither do most founders. Yeah. In reality, yeah, I think a lot of people jump to that conclusion of, oh, your parents gave you money or whatever it is. Yeah, but actually, you can make a LinkedIn bot. Yeah, it's uh, you got to hack your way, and that's like the founder mindset. Like mm. one hundred and one is, you know, there there is there is this like set route to success, and then you just find some like rogue way of doing it that is is either cheaper or you know it it just cuts out like five years of of, of yeah. hard graft or whatever you go, like. If you if you wait for everything, it's it's just you're gonna be waiting forever, right? You gotta yeah, so you gotta true. figure it out. Very fucking true. So you raise all that money. The business is growing, I would imagine, after that. Yep. <clears throat> COVID happens. Let's let's bring it up to that. Like how did that <laughs> I imagine I mean that, that fucked up a lot of businesses and it made a lot of businesses a lot of money. Yep. Um how did it affect you and, and what was the how, story how do you think we're a, <laughs> we're a battery the business we're, we're in all, all of our businesses in hospitality and like places where people couldn't go in covid yeah, like instantly mad. and it's batteries that like everyone touches like it's literally like a surface and everyone's like yeah. right at the beginning of covid everyone was so freaked out about touching stuff hmm. like it was all about gloves and you I'm know all this gloves to the gym yeah, like all of this kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and obviously, you know, we kind of... Initially, we thought, like everyone, this is going to be around for like a month or two and it's going to blow over. And then we started saying like, you know, this is probably not going to be a month. Maybe this is going to be like yeah, six months. I remember and, that. And so weird. Yeah, like I remember I remember saying to the team, like, it's all good. You know, we, we, we had this kind of... This whole plan where we'd like, um, you know, we'd taken as much cash before COVID mm. as possible, cut a lot of our expansionary spend, you know, uh, didn't launch some, we actually, we pulled out of a couple of markets in Europe as well um, that we just launched, which is kind of frustrating. But, mm. um, you know, we basically made it so that we had enough money to see it through for 12 months. Um, and even if like, you know, basically we had no no revenue. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously that, that felt like it was going to be more than enough. If we just kept it at that, we would have run out of money because COVID obviously it continued for whatever it was. You know, it's kind of, I guess, Two still, years. still like knocking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we had this plan um, very quickly. Like we put into effect all of that stuff to kind of save the company for a while, um, try and like make sure that we were able to see it through. 
uh, which was super stressful. But obviously, you know, we, we managed to, to put all of that stuff in place in a couple of weeks. Um, and then after that, it was like, okay, so now, now we like know we're going to be fine for a bit. Let's start thinking like creatively about what we can actually do because we can't sell more bloody phone charging. Like no one cares about this right now. They're like all of our customers are either going to potentially lose their business or, mm. you know, they're going to shut down or, you know, they're going to get sick and all this kind of stuff. Like literally phone charging is like the least of their problems right yeah. now. Um, so we, we, we went like super kind of back to basics and got out a whiteboard and we're just like, let's just throw any idea on this whiteboard. Um, and we had a, we had an office in Shoreditch at the time. I remember it like we were, you know, um, actually, no, it can't have been. Um, this must have been later. Anyway, um, we were we, we were like throwing all these 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 ideas down, um, you know, and uh, it was like, okay, maybe we'll we'll help people like sell food out of their pubs, or you know, we'll do we'll do like beer delivery, or you know, all sorts of like tech company ideas, yeah. um, which seemed like a good idea at the time. Thank God we didn't do it. Anyway, the most rogue one was basically to. Like we'd seen what was happening in 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 Italy and how like people were like yeah, massively fuck. struggling with sanitizer and all mad. this, and basically we were like no one can get hold of sanitizer. So what? Why don't we just figure out if we can make it? Um, and that was like I I genuinely thought it was like the worst idea ever. Um, but anyway, we 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 uh, we had like some contacts in manufacturing in the UK. Uh, and we knew some gin distilleries who were making sanitizer, put two and two together and basically converted a load of phone charging stations into sanitizer stations yeah. with this manufacturer. And, you know, this took like maybe like three or four days. Like it was a really quick turnaround from idea to like first prototype. The The manufacturing partners are absolutely incredible like they're so such good guys they were like on this journey with us from that very first day um they made the first one we took photos of it in the office you know and uh and and like showed people um you know some of our customers like basically like showed them renders of it and then we'd sold 150 of them before like the end of the the first week um, off the back of that 150, we then sold a thousand to like a load of other businesses in the network, and it's like, mm. oh my God, maybe we're onto something here. Um, and then it just uh, snowballed. Was this when businesses were allowed to open up again? No, so, this was all pre-reopening. It was so planning uh, to reopen. So it was the in order to be able to reopen. Right. Yeah. It, all the timelines are a little bit fuzzy. It was a pretty crazy yeah, time. It but, was. Um, you know, in and out of lockdown. But um, yeah, we 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 managed to basically like put together i think yeah it was a thousand units was the first big order that we did um manufactured them i think it was probably like maybe a week or two of 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 manufacture because it was all in the uk um and we had this gin distillery just knocking out like bottles Mm -hmm. and bottles of sanitizer that literally smelled like tequila like it was horrible stuff (laughs) like bad tequila (laughs) and uh Basically, like we we were shipping it all, um, you know, direct from the factory to these businesses, and then like we started to realize maybe there's actually a business here. Why don't we just lean into this? Um, so we we kind of, you know, hired a few more friends and stuff. Got a few of the like the sales team that we had for charged up. We pushed across onto onto this cleaned up idea, um, and and basically like the the sales were just going mad. You know, we yeah. we you know the, the the real big one for us and the thing that kind of turned the dial was when we'd like very early days we'd, we'd been we'd been talking to to tfl like the tube guys mm. um 
on for charged up um and so we used that same contact again like obviously charged up was would have taken ages to get it in but when they needed sanitizer we 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 were like guys do you want do you want to buy some sanitizer off us and we thought there's no chance like some massive corporate's going to take yeah, this yeah. you know they'll have like a cleaning company or whatever for whatever reason they decided to go with us they ordered like i think their initial order was like two three thousand units it was crazy mm. um and that also cemented us as like the legit sanitizer manufacturers in the uk because we yeah, had the bloody nice. tfl stamp yeah off the back of that like boris johnson like went and used it and we got a load of pr for that and then um sadiq khan went and used it and we were just getting like so much like pr off the back of this mm. crazy like pivot story because yeah. everyone was like looking for good news in amongst all of the like crap that was yeah, going yeah. on and we were there, like, you know, making all these units. And it was amazing. Like, you should have seen the factories. Like, they were just these enormous warehouses just full of all these little dispensers. Like, it was like this little army of dispensers. Like, and they were all being shipped across the UK. You know, there was a... The period... The craziest period, though, was, like, the weeks leading up to the reopening. Because um, we basically... Uh, we'd, we'd had a, a great relationship with the guys at Diageo, who, who like, yeah, own yeah. Guinness and all of those kind of drinks brands. They obviously wanted all the pubs to reopen successfully so that people could go back uh, and go and drink, you know, on whenever it was, 4th of July, whenever that reopening was. Mm. Um, and uh, off the uh, off off the kind of um, initial like relationship that we built with them, we said, why don't you guys pay for a load of units and then brand them up and give them out to all of these pubs? Um, and again, we didn't think it would go anywhere. They ended up coming back to us and ordering 25,000 units and said, Crazy. guys, like, if you do this and you can get them out to, to the pubs before reopening, like, we'll, we'll, give, you, we'll give you the deal. Um, for whatever reason, we said yes and then figured out how to do it after. Uh, yeah. We set up this entire, like, manufacturing thing. It was, it was nuts. Like, we were, we were manufacturing, like, 10,000 units a week. We had seven factories across the UK making them. Um, at one point we were like, I think it was 25% of, uh, I forget the name of the delivery company, like TNT or DPD yeah. or one of these guys. Like we were, it, it was like 25% of their network for those weeks. Cause these, we were literally, we had like, I think it was like six or seven trucks like arriving at the production facilities every day and then just delivering them to, to venues across the UK. It was the most mad time. Like we... I think we got through 30 tankers worth of ethanol, like just ethanol to make the sanitizer. It was Crazy. just, it was a bonkers time. Um, and like, obviously through all of that, um, it was all, it was all like, crazy but learned a great deal like you know had a great time doing it as well it was it was a great distraction from what felt like the end of the world um mm. you know we were just there busy making our sanitizer and you know just cracking on um but uh but you know like with a lot of good things they they come to an end um and unfortunately i think we sold everyone in the country sanitizer um in the space Wouldn't of about four me. months um so you know it was uh we had all these grand grand visions of like you know uh, we, we registered uh, h h what's it called h a a s like not sas but like hand sanitizer yeah. as a service like, yeah. <laughs> and we were going to do like subscription sanitizer and all this stuff we were going to launch a consumer brand like we had all these crazy ideas did you ever think you'd go back to the main business I, I i always hope so but i thought it may 
people might not want to use it um, just mm. because of the whole, like everyone was saying the effects of COVID would stick around. Like there was all of these rumors that, you know, people were never going to want to like touch stuff again and all this crap. But yeah. obviously none of that played out. Thank God. Um, but, uh, but I didn't, I just had no idea. So it's like, let's just, let's just crack on and, you know, make hay and, and all of that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. while, while we can. Um, and ultimately it ended up, saving the company we were able to keep everyone in the team you know we, we had a team of like 30 odd people then oh um, shit yeah it's you know big. It's pretty expensive to, yeah. to to keep everyone and you know we didn't have to do any of the furlough stuff so did you manage to use all 30 people in a hand sanitizer way no or was it like no no so just all, getting paid because you didn't want to get rid of them no so like the everyone was bit was was kind of working on the, the business except the tech team right i'll explain yeah. what they were doing yeah. after but i guess to to kind of round off on all the sanitizer craziness mm. um that that like went from zero to doing a million quid a month you know for the first like six months or well you know, it was obviously a ramp up period but it was yeah. it was very quick um it was like instantly a huge business and mm. then uh it 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 obviously dropped off a cliff when people started going back out and realizing that they don't really care about using sanitizer yeah um but it was amazing you know built the shopify store to sell it all in like you know a couple of evenings and you know launched it super quick learned loads about like uh performance marketing and you know all the stuff that uh, i find super interesting about your businesses yeah. um you know we were kind of learning that in like days um yeah. on the on the job <laughs> so you got to do um, it sometimes yeah that's it but uh but yeah no we had a great time doing that um at the end of it we we sold sold that business um it wasn't a huge exit but so- it was, was, it, was that structured as a separate entity then from the start? No, it was, it's a, it, it, it's kind of, we hived it off and did yeah. it that way, but right. it was a, a slightly, uh, you know, non-conventional sale, yeah. but it, it allowed us to basically um, focus back on, on, you know, the core tech mm. businesses, because um, obviously the sanitizer was never going to last forever, but it kept us afloat, kept us going and uh, obviously, you know, had a great time doing it as well. You've just reminded me, I think three episodes ago, the Purdy and Fig guys, they run, um, it's a cleaning, I, cleaning I, brand. I spoke to those guys. Oh, do you know them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, had a similar-ish sanitizer pivot during yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I recorded with them like two or three months ago. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I can't remember if we did something with them or not, but um, we definitely spoke to those guys uh, back in the day, back yeah. in the crazy sanitizer days. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I guess everyone pivots in different ways. So back to... You sell that business off. Hmm. How did the main business, the previous business, yep. the charging stuff look at that point? So, so it's, COVID's it, calmed down. Yeah. So I guess, you know, ChargeDog was in like hibernation for a long time. Hmm. You know, we've got all of our ops guys, all of our sales guys, um, you know, working on on this cleaned up thing. Clearly, like there's no tech to it. It's like a Shopify store. You know, yeah. there was there was nothing for the tech team to do. Um on that business and you know we didn't really want to invest loads of time and money into the uh into the phone charging at that point because you know we didn't know if it was going to be a a success after covid so um we basically we we, we'd already started building um what what then became served up which is uh payments in in venues um pre-covid it was like a it was it was kind of like a what we call a labs project so like a super quick Mm. you know sprint to build a like a 
a demo effectively for the rest of the team um, of this concept of being able to order on a QR code, you know, see a menu and order a beer or whatever, have it delivered to your table. We built that like a year before COVID, I think, um, just in the, like as a sprint in the tech team. Um, And then that was one of the like wacky ideas that went back on the whiteboard of, you know, these are, what what are pubs going to need? What are venues going to need when they reopen? Um, And one of the big ones was this. It was like, you know, People aren't able to go to the bar anymore. Um, why don't we? Why don't we lean into this trend? I'd always been super passionate about, um, you know, seeing seeing how payments were done in China with WeChat. Like everything's so mm. frictionless out there. Yeah. You you can you can order your food at the table. That was like five years ago. You could do that. I remember going to a burger restaurant and being able to like customize my burger, and, yeah. and it was the best experience for me because I can't speak Chinese. Um, yeah. I could just do it all visually, and I was just like, this is this is incredible. Like you go to a vending machine out there and you can do it on your phone everything is done through the phone and I saw that and it's like we have we are like so far behind in the UK you know in the in West Western Europe like the um it it just felt like I'd gone back in time coming back to the UK and returning from China and I guess like off the back of that and then the the, the timing of COVID coming it's like if we don't lean into this QR code thing it's never going to happen like we are going to miss the boat um, and yeah, we, we got the tech team working on that. Um, we, you know, very quickly built a product, launched it, uh, within about maybe like six months, something like that. Um, you know, and it's a complicated product. Like it's, it's pretty, pretty difficult to build, um, with one venue. Uh, those guys had been, um, our first cleaned up customer actually as well. Uh, they, they, they're, um, the amazing amazing venue that like supported us through it all mm. helped us build the product as well and then yeah now now cleaned ups scaled up we've raised uh we raised a round at the end of last year um and uh yeah like it's it's now in about 2500 venues across the uk and that's kind of like the core focus of my time is, is building out the uh the payments business but it all kind of started with like ordering a burger in china you know it's like these mm. inspirations can come from such random places and uh yeah that's that's where that's where served up came from so you're essentially trying to build out like a suite of hospitality tech tools something is, is like that, one that. Way to put it yeah like a yeah. group of a group of tech tech slash SaaS for hospitality yeah i sound like i know nothing about what i'm talking about saying that but (laughs) that's kind of my interpretation of it yeah something like that yeah um so we we've now split out the company so we have someone um we have an md running the charged up business scaling that out um you know it's just launched in australia it's continuing to, to to double down um, we just signed a massive deal across Europe. You know, there's mm. loads of stuff going on on that business, but I'm just not super involved in the day to day anymore. Um, and it's running profitably, which is great. You know, it's like it's it's like a its own business running on its own two feet, uh, standing on its t- own two feet now. Mm. Um, but I focus all of my time now and have done for like basically since cleaned up was was shut down on the served up business because yeah. for me that's the that's the multi-billion dollar opportunity mm. um you know we we've 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 scaled incredibly quickly on it and the the world of payments it's it's like you know there's so many people playing in this in this world and yet it's still so broken like we we're still using you know you go into 99 percent of bars restaurants even just like you know supermarkets or whatever and you're tapping a card that you know 
uh, it's going through like these like the, the, these cards have been around since like uh, like fifty years. And yeah. it, like the technology hasn't really changed, and yet like every other thing is you know if we look at e-commerce like the 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 improvements that have happened in that world are just so significant. Um, you know you can you can do like one tap and have something delivered to your house next day. Like um, and and the way we order and, and pay in a bar is the same as it has been for for fifty years. Like and. I just feel like there is so much opportunity for disruption there. And yeah, we're really riding this wave of, of technology adoption in, in hospitality. Yeah, do, do you know one thing? I, I don't know if this is something you thought about. Maybe it's not irrelevant. Maybe it's a new idea as well. Because <laughs> you just made me think, saying it's like old-fashioned. I always think that, particularly with hotel check-ins. Yes. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Because I was in Barcelona like a month ago and I was stood at the waiting for the desk for literally like half an hour and I'm there thinking why can't I just tap on tap on my room yeah with my phone yeah why the fuck am I waiting for some Spanish lady to make me sign a piece of paper it's crazy well, right why, like letters and this is going on a ramp but like why do we get letters <laughs> in 2022 it's so it's a weird. waste of paper and I don't yeah. read it yeah if you want to communicate send me like a whatsapp yeah or an email or, you know something it is weird that these things, things like, like all of these things, like so many technologies have been phased out, like fax or, mm. or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but like some of them just seem to kind of still stick around. Like why? There's yeah. got to be some conspiracy reason why there's still like letters. <laughs> the government are making money off that somehow. <laughs> I just I don't get it. It's, it's mad. really, it is strange. And but, hotels are just one that came to mind. I don't know if that's something you've ever thought about, but like it's kind of within that realm of, yeah, upgrading archaic hospitality tech. Yeah. There's there's some great companies and we look at a lot of them in the hospital in the hotel space as well who are kind I of I think I heard of some mate of a mate of a mate who's got some startup in that space I think that might yeah. be why I thought of it I don't know what it is but yeah like there's so many of these these industries where the tech is so you know entangled in everything that they do yeah. and that's why they stick with the old tech it's not because they don't realize that it's broken it's not that like the people who run those businesses like work in those businesses don't have access to better technology and you know have a, a modern phone that is like way better than their system mm. it's it's because it's so like tangled in with everything that they do that they can't rip it out and so like that's the biggest challenge for us is not that you know building a better product because that's super easy yeah it's actually getting people to switch because it's so painful you know think of a a pub or a bar like they're open pretty much every day you can't have like downtime mm. you know it's like oh yeah sorry guys we're gonna switch over your systems but you got to shut for a month it's like no way you know it's got to work instantly from day one and so like that's been a lot of the learnings that we've gone through is like how do you like get into a business and get going like really quickly but like also don't disrupt their work you know and show them loads of value from day one like it's it's been a it's been a super interesting kind of learning curve um going from what was effectively a consumer brand although we had you know business relationships it was a consumer product um mm. to building a b2b SaaS company um and uh yeah like i I I, uh, I feel like my my favorite thing is just like learning new stuff, figuring stuff out, and there is so much to figure out in this this business. It's so big, so vast. The stuff that we're building and deploying every day, um, and uh, yeah, like it's just the most fun business. What do you think the goal is? Is there an end goal for this whole thing? Because it sounds like it started fairly, kind of unplanned, randomly at the time. Obviously, five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Have have you 
figured out like obviously things change pivot growth etc is, is there an end game yeah i think like for the business and maybe you it it depends it depends which uh which kind of um like angle you take with it like ultimately it's a business i've got investors i want to i want to obviously make them and me a lot of money they've they've backed me because they they want to see a, a big yeah. sale or a or a big listing of the company um and and that's exactly what we're going to do um but at the same time like you know for myself i want to continue to work with like super cool people that i really respect i learn lots from i want to continue to enjoy what i do mm. um continue to just be be having a great time and you know, like I said at the start, like I don't want to have to get a real job and I feel like I don't have a real job yet. And, yeah. you know, if that flips and I have to do that, then maybe, maybe that's not success for me. But, um, right now, like I just, I go into, I go into our office and just get to like have fun and, and develop new stuff and basically go and like play every day. Like it's great fun. Yeah. On the whole office things, I know we mentioned briefly off camera before that's like a real I said quarter life crisis and <laughs> dilemma because I've always been the bit of like a nomad character like I lived in Bali did all this shit and I still like travel a lot but I feel like as I'm getting old and decrepit at 26 um, <laughs> I've kind of started to think about like I don't know like you, you can reach like certain revenue numbers or you, you know hypothetically if this business goes really well that I'm launching now you know in five years I'll be really rich whatever but then it's like a lot of it's become, and I was speaking to Jack and my other founder mates about this, like, I think especially with e-com, because mm. you can be so lean and yeah. so remote for so long. Like, I think you could get to 2 million a month in revenue and have like 10 people that are all just freelancers online. But like, 100%, like you can have no employees in But the problem with that is, and it's always something I battle with, but particularly more as I'm getting older and maybe I want more like consistency and I don't know, like an actual... Data, like a work life that isn't because obviously like, I literally do a podcast here I work from here yep. and it's fucking like it's like a lot of freedom but it's like I'm thinking Christ like, am, am I going to be sat at that same desk in two years like if even if like the business grows to where I want it to and it's grown really well already and so on but it's like it, that, that's something I'm trying to figure out because I, I would love to have a massive office in Fitzrovia with polished concrete floors and a yeah, team of 50 yeah. people but then Maybe I just like the idea of that, and actually, the reality would be, oh, that's a lot of payroll headache if I need fifty people in an office. And is that what people want in this working world? Do, do we all want to work from home and track two bottoms? I'm now convinced that working from home probably isn't the best solution. No, I think, a lot of I think it's on that. a I think it's a flexible approach. Yeah, um, like that's like, the approach that we've gone for. Flexible. Um, yeah, we don't we don't mandate anything. Mm. Um, I personally go in like four or five days a week just because kind of. You know, and going back to what you were saying, like grass is always greener, like always, <laughs> always greener. Um, you know, I, I, I would love the idea of, you know, in my head, the idea of going and working in Bali for six months yeah. just sounds amazing. I love that place. Happily go and work in Chengdu and just like, yeah, chill I out love there. Chengdu. Um, but like, you know, the, the grass is always greener. And, you know, ultimately I really did not enjoy that, that COVID lockdown period where mm. you get up, you know, my, my, my mega desk set up like yours is in my yeah. bedroom you know you just sat there all day and you're like is this even a real company at this point like that's how yeah, i yeah. felt that is how and, it feels and obviously you 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 were kind of the same before and after covid mm. so it's not as weird like i'd gone from 
going into Shoreditch every day, you know, cycling in and then walking into this office and there's all these all these like great people and you know have drinks on our, on the roof terrace at the end of the the week and you know that was like a big part of it for me was like having this this team of people that are kind of coming on the journey with you. Yeah. And all of that just disappeared and it was like every Friday we would have like a a get together on Zoom and play some like stupid Zoom quiz or something. It's just and I I just it was just not that fun and yeah. I I was like super craving coming back to an office um and i yeah i get the i get the uh the kind of the perks of being remote and you know a lot of our tech team you know almost never come into the office because that's they're wired differently like they're maybe yeah you know they're not as interested in like you know the the, the long commute and all of this kind of stuff to go in and sit in an office and get distracted by people um but for me like I, I want to be around people. I want to be like chatting to to the team and understanding what's going on and, you know, coming up with new ideas and just constantly, like I, I thrive on being around people. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm the exact same. And yeah, it's something I, I think I, I mentioned it in like my last fucking building in public episode or whatever. And I was like, because a bit of me thinks, if you can keep things really lean and, that, you know, if, if the business is growing, whatever, if people are remote and that's happy, and, and they're happy doing that then then fine but then I also think but then is it all about just a road the most profitable or fast growth road to the end goal which is an exit which I've I've said that is the end goal because probably is the end goal for a lot of founders yeah. but also I guess like the end goal kind of every month is to like enjoy the process doing it yeah and I've just become very self-aware that I think I'm actually getting to the point where it is like net negative for the business's growth for me to just be sat in a fucking room by myself. <laughs> yeah. Only ever speaking to people on Zoom, apart from my flatmates doing the same shit. Yeah. And there are many pros to that. Yeah, it's lean, whatever. Like there's like no cost involved and I can just, you know, I have a you can go anywhere. two second commute from my bedroom yeah. to my desk. <laughs> and yeah. it means I can go to Bali like next week, which I think I'm doing. I haven't actually booked a flight yet. But, but <laughs> even that, like I was in Mykonos two weeks ago and Marbella like a month before that and people probably it's classic grass is greener and I made a video about this as well saying like when I'm there I want to be back home like yeah. with more consistency but then when I'm back home for so a week I think oh let's go to Bali it'd be great to be in Changu but then yeah. I get to Changu and it's eight hours ahead the Wi-Fi's not great because I haven't yeah. located the perfect cafe and I'm fucking sweating my ass off <laughs> and there's flies everywhere and you're trying to do a load of work yeah so yeah it's just funny because I look at a business like Gymshark, for example, like classic example. Yeah, they have that insane campus. And I think that would be so cool. But but then the other part of me thinks, do I even want to get to the point where, you know, you obviously don't need a thousand people to have an office, but I don't know. It's just an interesting debate. And I think I've got to the point where I would definitely rather have that. But then like I've got like, I guess like five, six full-time people, if you include like freelancers, agencies, but then they're, they're not even in the same city, most of them. Yeah. So it's like, oh, have you met am I going to get... Not all of them, no. Yeah, this is, this is it. Like, and then I think, well, does that mean realistically I should get rid of them and hire people in London and just start again and like build more of a culture if this is what I'm going to do for the next, like certainly three to five years probably. Yeah, it's just an, an interesting one because I it don't is. think I had ever taken into account like the the benefit of having a more, ironically, like a more typical working environment because yeah. I've never had that office like nine to five ever. Yeah. I've never really even worked in an office. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just so funny because I, I think like p- people that are into like online entrepreneurship or whatever, they're like, oh, I, I don't want 
the typical approach. Yeah. But then as I've got older, I'm like, actually, maybe a, a large part of the typical approach is that way because it makes biological sense and like it's better for we're like social health. creatures yeah right? exactly all this yeah so it's just it's a strange paradox yeah it's like now i've got the freedom or i've always just worked in it in that way that gives me the freedom i'd actually almost like to have less freedom and have people say we've got a fucking lease on this office stay in one place yeah. focus yeah get people around you do you know what i mean so it's, it's uh, something it, i'm debating it's super how to interesting one like how the to manage the uh the co-working thing i guess is one way to, to yeah. get it without having to actually have the team yeah there. so i was looking at going to um to 180 house because i've got so uh, it yeah. works yeah so yeah, i go yeah. there anyway but not for work shit but i was thinking maybe i'll just go in there yeah nice it's, aesthetic it's furniture. pretty it's pretty nice yeah you go and have a little swim in the uh in the morning <laughs> yeah and then then the other, other part of me thinks i probably just get distracted yeah. by some pretty person in the corner <laughs> and i wouldn't get anything done yeah do you know what I mean? So it, there's always pros but and cons. But sometimes like a bit of distraction in the day is actually what leads to the inspiration oh, that leads to agree. the next idea. Like, yeah. you know, being being distracted is not always a bad thing as a founder. Like, because, you know, that's that's where the next brand could come from. It could be one random chat mm. with some random person over coffee, you know, over the coffee machine or like, you know, it could be anything. Like, and yeah, if, you, if you're if you in the right place. Like, I, I met so many interesting people. We were in WeWorks back in the day. We've now yeah. got our, you know, our own office. But, like, I met so many interesting people and just little tiny nuggets here and there or, like, connections or, or whatever. Like, you never know where they're going to go. Mm. Um, and, you know, we ended up... I, bu- I bumped into uh, the person who became our head of ops in a WeWork. Like, and, yeah, like, it's it just... You never know where these things can go. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it, it it is interesting and there's yeah like you said grass is always greener but i personally i i like having the office but then at the same time i wouldn't mind just popping on the plane somewhere sometimes you know especially when we get into the uh, darkest winter yeah no nah, i definitely <laughs> agree when it's winter yeah it's more appealing to go elsewhere but i think london in summer is very good to be fair yeah it's a great city how does your day-to-day look like as a founder at this point because you said you raised over 10 million quid now is it total hmm. so significant chunk you got 40 odd employees now i think from looking at your linkedin a little, little bit more but yeah yeah it's a lot of people um and uh yeah it's growing and you're still, you're still pretty time. young as well like do you find probably a billion questions are gonna go off here. i always try and make it fairly philosophical on the second half of the pod yeah because one thing i've historically struggled with and i've not raised that much money and it's a different business whatever but it's just like imposter syndrome of being mm. like a younger founder. Yep. Because like in the past with Neon Beach, actually, I'd hired two people that were quite a bit older than me and it fucking went wrong anyway because the business went tits up. But that in itself was a big challenge. Like how much of your team, I would imagine a lot of them are older than you for a start. Yeah, like most of them. Yeah. It's, yeah. Is that something know. you just have to get over? You just over? get over it. Like, I feel yeah. like I'm slowly getting over it. Or trying to. Yeah, I think even from like day one, I was kind of the youngest person in the team. Yeah. Like I've I've kind of always always had that, so it's never been that weird. And um, yeah, hundred percent, you you get imposter syndrome. But like, I think if you if you're not having imposter syndrome, you're like in the wrong room. Yeah. You know, you need to be leveling up and meeting the next level of people. And then once you're you you're kind of you feel like you're acclimatized to that. You need to be jumping to the next level. Like, otherwise, you're never growing, right? Very so true. I think um, imposter syndrome is something you kind of should lean into and, you know, embrace it. Like, and, 
yeah, like you, you just keep keep you know meeting new people, keep hustling, and you know you you figure it out as you go, and then suddenly you are in the right room, and mm. you know you are you you're what you thought you could never be, and yeah, yeah. that's I think that's just uh, you just got to keep doing it. What the fuck is this? Space Goods, spacegoods.com, Rainbow Dust version one. My newest entrepreneurial econ brand venture. I spent six months in the trenches building this shit from scratch. We launched six weeks ago. What's it all about? The next generation wellness brand with a long-term vision to essentially consumerize the pending psychedelic consumer goods market, which might sound absolutely ridiculous. We're not quite there yet. The market's massively illegal. But what is this? Rainbow Dust version one is an all-in-one mushroom and adaptogenic blend designed to unlock your supernatural self. Essentially, experience a sharper focus, sustained energy, and like calm throughout the day. It's an all-in-one powder. Tastes like fucking hot chocolate. Tastes delicious. Works great. Looks great. Feels amazing. Essentially, the broader concept here was to legally imitate a psychedelic microdose and like I said, experience those symptoms. You can mix it with anything, brownies, bake brownies with it, mix it with your coffee, have it without coffee, replace your coffee, put it into a protein shake. It's super fucking versatile. It tastes great. It replaced the stack of supplements I was previously taking, but you need to try this shit. It would definitely change the way you work, get you into that deep workflow. I obviously think that myself, plenty of our thousand plus first customers think the exact same shit. It's not just a pretty packaging, it actually works really fucking well. Keto, vegan, all that good shit. Trust me, you need to try it for yourself. Let's scale the shit to the moon. Spacegoods.com. Get on your Rainbow Dust subscription and see how you fucking feel. Let's do it for the boys. Spacegoods.com. How does your day today look like? Right now, um, it, it does it vary com- a lot. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Like there is no, there is no day in the life. But mm. um, I guess the a lot of my time now is is taken up by um, you know investment, uh, getting more funds into the company so that we can uh, expand and and you know go international and all that exciting stuff. Um, you know, doing partnerships, doing deals. Um, uh, you know, there's there's some some top secret stuff that we're we're working on uh, in in the world of M and A, which is also very exciting. Uh, big learning curve and all of that, which is which has been great. But like, I don't know, like involved in sales, involved in uh, marketing, involved in like customer success, like every every part of the business, mm-hmm. I I get involved with and 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 try and help out wherever I can. But then a lot of the time, it's like. You know the, the the biggest biggest time thing is at the moment is is actually hiring as well. You know, yeah. getting the right people to come I'm in. I'm so bad at that. <laughs> Honestly, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Really, feels like it feels like you need a, a COO who can who can run all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's what Alex, who's one of my investors and mentors, really has told me. That's yeah. probably what we need next because he he helped me hire an FD recently. So who also invested in the business, which is probably a good sign. Um, <laughs> And, and and that that was the first time I think I got over my imposter syndrome a little bit because like he's like 50 years old and yeah and, I, and I'm telling him my vision for where we, where we want to go but I can't I can't fucking do a cash flow forecast yeah whereas he comes in and does this like wizardry just like a five year plan all this shit which I, stuff I'd never done in the past like where I got it wrong in the past was fucking knowing the actual numbers mm. not just chad scaling to the moon yeah in a lap <laughs> just me in a kitchen and a laptop which is what i did um uh-huh. but yeah like the, the whole idea of yeah hiring like a ceo someone that's like above me in the business i think that that would be because i'm just naturally like a 
like a high risk creative like i'm very good at zero to one but yep. i just fucking hate like the operational side yeah like, i end up doing but that's most of my day is that typical founder because right? <laughs> i because I, I, I have to do that and i have to like it's all very well coming up with like fucking palm tree dust or whatever which is like a product idea but then i need to make sure that we actually have stock to sell because we're spending thousands a day on instagram and yep so i i find my like the, the challenge for me as a founder and like an e-com perspective is I always come at it from a create I get really creative when I'm starting something oh like yeah. I've, I've like I did all the the branding the products that, that's my thing and then when it becomes a real thing with customers and everything I, I get bogged down in 90% of my time being the shit that I wasn't interested in and didn't get me to the point where I could start a business which was like the creative side yeah so I think I just need to accept that I'm not I don't ever really even want to be like a CEO I'd rather just be the guy that sits in the corner coming up with fucking product ideas. And, yeah. And this is it. But you kind of got to, you know, unless you are, you've already kind of, you know, you scaled, you've got the funds behind you, etc. Mm. You kind of have to do both. You have to be the executor and the visionary. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I very much still am. Yeah. But but, but my I, I'm similar. Like I would prefer to sit mm. in the corner, come up with cool stuff and then, you know, yeah. magically it happens. But I think like the the model to do that is either to you know create like a, a company incubator um, you know where you are coming up with ideas or your team is coming up with ideas and then you're putting in a CEO who then goes off and runs that business or you become an investor and then you're able to look at all of this cool crazy stuff but not have to be involved in the in the kind of day to day yeah um, that's something I've I've started dabbling in more recently is like trying to uh kind of just not not like as a big part of my day or life or anything but just starting to uh to kind of learn that muscle or whatever um of of like investing in uh, you know seed stage companies yeah. and it is like it's it's so interesting you can you can become like a, as obsessed as you are with your own business with another completely random thing for like you know one hour um, and you know, then you get to go back to reality and, yeah. and continue cracking on with the super valuable thing that you're building. But it kind of it scratches that itch in the back of your brain of like, oh, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. Yeah, you know, you get to kind of chat to people who are doing that thing, and hopefully get some yeah. upside from it. I joked the other week that one day when I've exited from my own thing, I would like to start a podcast fund where everyone that watches the pod, we, we all start this like. I'd call it like pool party capital or something. And I love be, it. Yeah, so I don't know. Everyone chucks some def- cash I in. definitely will do something with that later on. That's actually where I think a platform like a podcast like this can actually be interesting. Yeah. Like beyond just fucking putting sponsors on and shit is yeah. it becomes like, because I, I think that a thousand people watching this for an hour and we get like three to 4,000 views now per one. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but but then that compared to say a million views on some bullshit TikTok that no yeah. one cares about, yeah, is completely different. Yeah, and people that listen to this are generally entrepreneurs or investors. You're not or sitting through for an people. hour unless yeah, you're exactly. like highly so engaged. <laughs> I, I just had that that idea the other day, and I was like, "Fucking hell, we need to start season two. I need to build the audience and eventually build this like trillion dollar fund from from the Midnight Pod." But I love it. Yeah, the, uh, I, I definitely think yeah. Do my first things. million guys do something similar yes, to they that? Do. Yeah. Super, super cool. Yeah. Um, and like the the brand that they've built off the back of that podcast, obviously selling some companies yeah, also. Yeah. Uh, but like mainly that podcast and like I, I think it's it just shows like if you if you kind of 
get that kind of product market fit. Like mm. you've got the right audience, you know, the right people are talking to the other right people about the thing. It's it's super valuable. And yeah, yeah, that's that's next for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely a few years down the line. I mean, I was thinking that like, people have DM me about this saying I, I should do like crowdfunding for podcast subscribers to invest in space goods. But maybe in the future, I think that'd be overcomplicated things right now. It I do is, not want to do crowdfunding. Uh, crowdfunding is, is definitely... And I've just uh, closed another round this week of like, I guess it's it's just an extension to the pre-seed, whatever you want to call it. Really? Yeah, so... Congrats. Yeah, well, it's literally closing like tomorrow, so... It's just, it's basically the same amount of money again at a big evaluation because I wanted to get two people involved. Amazing. But I, I'm also conscious, just on that as well, because it's the first time I've, like I said using seed legals all that shit i'm looking at exit scenarios yeah, with my yeah. equity and all Love this shit it. big fan of seed legals yeah. and in, in my head it's always a fine line between i'm obviously i'm fucking three months in so there's only so inflated i can get the valuation or whatever but that balance between in the past i was always like i want to own 100 percent because when we sell and i didn't sell because it went fucking wrong <laughs> um had i had investors maybe i would have dodged those those errors which is the point but now i'm like you know, in three, four, five years, whatever it is, I'd rather have, you know, 50%, even 30% of a very big pie. Yeah. And actually have a much, a much smoother way of getting there because I've got the help and the support yeah. and more money along the way. So it's just interesting how my perspective has changed because, yeah, I used to be so arrogant to think I have to do it all myself. Mm-hmm. I have to own 100%. I don't want a co-founder. Yeah. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Yeah. But now it's like, I want people to please tell me what you think because I now know how much I don't know, which probably took me seven years <laughs> and a bit of humbling myself to get to that point. Yeah. So like, I don't know what the question is really. I mean, is that something you've, well, again, I, I guess in tech is maybe you slightly different. You kind of have to, like there's, there's very few, very big like tech companies that have been bootstrapped. Yeah. Um, like there are some, there are some examples of it. Um, but it's it's way way harder, like way harder, because you mm. need to spend a ton of money up front, get a load cost. of devs. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah, it's it's tough to do that. And usually, your first customers, you're doing it like either super cheap or like mm. um, you know, it's not it's not done in a super scalable way, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but like the it's again, it's just like it's grass is always greener. Like I I look at these I look at these founders who are able to sell a business and they own a hundred percent of it and they sell it for like you know even ten million pounds or whatever. That's like a hundred percent your money, you know. Yeah. Whereas I have to get to a much bigger valuation to walk away with ten million pounds, you know, because yeah. obviously I've been diluted over the years um, by by selling parts of the company to to investors. Like it's the it's it's that kind of uh, you know. It's it's always uh, easy to look across the fence and, and be jealous, yeah. but um, I think with tech you just you gotta you gotta raise you gotta raise money, um, otherwise it's it's gonna be a long old journey. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. But just on that then as well, because one of my recent investors, who's also like a mentor to me, I guess, who, who I mentioned before, who sold his business last year, he he said something to me that changed my my perspective on numbers because. You know, like I've flippantly said on the podcast, oh, I want to build a hundred million pound brand. Yeah, because everyone fucking says that it's an easy yeah. number. It's not a billion, which sounds silly, but it's bigger than ten million. So yeah. we say a hundred million, <laughs> whatever that means. Valuation, revenue, probably valuation. But he said to me, "Well, you, you, that should be irrelevant because 
really what you should be looking at is how much do I walk away with in what time period? Because, yeah. you know, you could have a business worth 100 million, but if no one's willing to buy you out, then you won't got any money. You could be a broke founder. But I'm, so true. it's like that Drake bar, don't show me valuation, show me personal funds yeah, or yeah. something. And it just changed my perspective. But then at the same time, there's a, probably this arrogant little kid inside me that thinks, yeah, but I'd just be so sick to get to like a billion valuation, even if I had 0.1% equity. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's, there is some YouTuber, I think, did that where he, he actually made a company worth a billion by selling one, you know, one billionth of it for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. a pound. Yeah. You know? um, so, so yeah, you could do that too. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, but no, like I, I, I get what you're saying. Like there is... There's, there's clout that comes with having a business that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's still super high risk. Like, you know, our company's worth a, a huge amount of money um, on paper and investors yeah. have, have backed us for that amount of money. But like, if we don't sell it, it's, you know, it's not worth anything. Mm. Um, so it's it's still super high risk. It, it gets lower risk as you go through the, the funding cycle. And, you know, once you... You, you go from uh, like pre-seed to seed and then series A and series B, like it becomes more and more likely that you are going to see a big return off it. Yeah. But ev- anything can happen. Like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So um, yeah, I don't know what the point is here, but uh, I well, think- I guess to clarify my ramble, I guess the question is like, what would be your priority at this stage in life? Is it getting the business- not necessarily priority, but like, what would be the perfect outcome for you? Is it is it making is it building you know billion pound plus business and you having a slice of it, mm. or is it like de-risking and and maybe you've done that, maybe you're going to do that. I don't know. Um, yeah, how how do you see that? Because yeah. my perspective as well has, has definitely changed a little bit on it as I've got a bit older. It's like, oh, it would probably it would be nice to like de-risk rather than just have this pipe dream of, oh, I need to make 120 mil before I'm 29. Yeah. Actually, if I could make 10 mil by 29, that'd be all right. I feel like, yeah, 10 mil's a, a good number for never thinking about money ever again Because in your that's life. the number that people that have made a lot more than that have told me. Yeah. And that's why I believe them. Yeah. Because, you know, some kid on Twitter saying it, you get these kids on Twitter that are like 18 and they're like, 10 mil's not enough. It's like, mate, you've not even made 100 grand yet. <laughs> so it's all relative. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I would love. I would love that's to. That's what I've been told. I would love to have that. Uh, obviously, not not quite there yet. Um, but uh, I I feel like, yeah, that would be a nice outcome to have. But at the same time, like I, I'm super young. Like I have mm. so many years to go yeah. for this business, and then so many years to go for you know however many other startups and you know companies that I build in the future. So you know. I, I want to kind of shoot for the shoot for the stars or whatever and, and go for the biggest opportunity possible. I see what we're building as a multi-billion dollar opportunity. So kind of why not just go for it? And then, you know, worst case scenario, you sell it and you make 10 mil at the end. That's still incredible. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, you kind of have to, in, in tech world, especially with VCs, like they are not backing you to sell for 20 million, 50 million pounds. Like, they want to see a billion dollar outcome. Otherwise, it doesn't even make sense for their fund. Yeah. You know, they are investing in maybe 10 startups and, you know, they know that like 
you know, eight of them are going to fail. One of them's going to do okay, but then one of them is going to pay for the yeah. whole fund. Mm. That's like the economics. Like it's sim- it's pretty simple economics, and it's it's probably what's led to a lot of crazy stuff going on with companies that are you know just way overfunded and all sorts of crazy stuff across the startup ecosystem. But um, that is the model, and uh, you know we're, we we've very much leaned into that model and geared ourselves up for for that kind of outcome. Yeah, it's so interesting. I find the whole fundraising world fascinating. And my perspective on how to achieve like an outcome with a business financially has has changed so much. Because in the past I would be like, oh, I need to be EBITDA profitable from month one and maybe we'll get a 3X multiple acquisition because we're like a bedroom brand that's doing 3 million in revenue, which is like like my, my, my jewelry business previously. But now it's like, my focus is very much on like recurring revenue and positioning it to be a potential unicorn like, yeah which is why like the whole psychedelics angle etc like i was saying before and almost like reverse engineering because it wasn't my first thing and i, I stuck to e-com at least but it wasn't my first brand first time consumables but like everything in terms of the market where i think it could go the fact that it's in the uk where there's limited competition all this sort of stuff it all lends itself to well i i, I think it could you know, really interest certain private equity funds, all this sort of shit. It's very acquirable, should it yep. go to plan. So yeah, I guess like, I've got like a three year plan in my head, but it's obviously not going to go exactly to plan. Um, Never does. It's already not gone to plan. I've had to pivot <laughs> and change, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's just funny how my perspective has changed because yeah, I guess I didn't know maybe how like the capital cycle works mm. before. Whereas now having spoken to people that have been there and done that, raised all the money been acquired like that's better than any fucking MBA mm. speaking to people that have actually done it and I'm fortunate to have those people backing me now so yeah, and hopefully we'll do and hopefully I can fucking get them a great return so and it goes back to networks right yeah. like that's that you, you learn from these people who've been there and done it like I've got all these amazing investors like advisors people who've come around the business over the years and these guys have like you know uh, like I chat like all the time to the dude who uh, he, he sold Shazam to to Apple, you know, oh, shit, yeah. and like the the you know uh, Tom Blomfield from Monzo, yeah, you know, yeah. all these guys who've invested in the company and you know supported us over the years, like they they've done huge things, and like I can just chat to them and and run my ideas past them, and they can give me parallels from back in the day when they were going through the same problems. Mm. Like you don't always have to solve all the problems yourself; you can also lean on these these ogs who've done it already yeah i I, i've learned so much from that and you know kind of the way you said it's like you when you start off you think you know what you're doing and all of that actually you realize you know nothing (laughs) yeah and uh you know by getting a load of great people around you 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 can go so much faster and same with team as well you know hiring people who are way better than you you know that's how you actually scale a business and that's that's been a a big learning for me over the years yeah definitely what do you think has been the hardest thing over the past five years you had to pick one and it can be personal business anything just during the process it's a really tough question there's like literally you know, it's the um, it's the dude from LinkedIn. I think it's a quote from him. It's like you you go home and stuff's just like on fire. You know, there is mm. always something that's going wrong. Like that's the nature of it. Um, but 
I think probably like that time when we thought we were going to lose all of the three years of work because of COVID, mm. like that was that was pretty rough. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't yet have a plan of how to get out of it and all of that stuff. We thought we were going to have to like lose the team and, you know, lose all the effort and time that we put into everything. Um, and yeah, that was that was pretty rough, to be fair. And it didn't look like there was like an exit. You know, there was no like light at the end of the tunnel. It was just like, what are we going to do? And, yeah. But then, you know, you keep keep pushing on. And then the next the next day you wake up and you're like, yeah, we've got a solution for it. And just crack on with it. Got to keep playing the game. Right. Final question. I, I seem <laughs> to have it's become a typical question. I ask everyone now and it's so cliche, but yeah, it's quite a good question because it makes people reflect if you could give three bits of advice to yourself starting out five years ago, or, or even prior to that, but let's call it five years ago, yeah. on reflection, what would they be? That's a good one. Puts okay. everyone on the spot. Yeah. But most um, people come out with something interesting. I think, I think actually one of the things that we, we were speaking about around uh, like operations and people, you know, you're, you're not a big fan of doing it yourself. Mm. I realized uh, after a number of years of trying to like, kind of you know bash a square peg through a round hole or whatever that that's not my skill set um and so hiring a coo was like huge you know it was it was a yeah i think like i should have from the very first day got a kind of super operational super finance focused uh like co-founder i think that would be Mm. how i would do it again if i was starting again because like i'm naturally way more into the creative side like sales side you know coming up with the new stuff products tech all of that but then like the the execution the operations the hr all of that stuff it's just you know i can do it and i've figured it out but i don't enjoy it and yeah um yeah so i guess yeah get a get someone who's like the yin to your yang or whatever don't just find people who are the same as you and have the same skill set um that's that's one thing um I think uh, another one is like, you know, I, obviously I did end up just kind of cracking on with it. But like, I think for, for a lot of people who look at founders who have done all this crazy stuff, like you, you look at them and you think like, I couldn't do that. They're somehow different or, you know, some special person. It's like, it's absolute rubbish. Like everyone just starts from some mm. point where they know nothing. And, you know, then you just learn along the way. Like the, the like, internet is the most incredible thing like you can learn anything now like and you can just like you can start from zero and you can just figure it out as you go along like you know you've done it as well like it's you just you just kind of start one day and you're like okay let's open a shopify store and then you know a few years later you've actually figured out how to run all of the stuff you know you you just learn from mistakes and just keep keep cracking on so i guess the 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 advice would be um just you know just go for it if you're into into this world and you love the the idea of you know founding a company mm. um it's it you know it might look difficult from the outside but it's just a continuation of learning and making mistakes and and just pushing on um i guess final final thoughts final idea um I'm trying to think now you have to drop something special something really special um I guess, you know, it's a, it's a long journey. It's not like something that happens overnight. 
you know, I, I remember thinking like this was going to be like a three year thing. We're going to build it. We're going to scale it. We're going to sell it. Mm. Um, you know, these things, if they're valuable, they take time. You got to be, you got to be ready for that marathon. Like it's not a, it may feel like a sprint and every day may be a sprint because you are constantly like fighting against competitors or running out of money or whatever the, the situation is like you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't relax on the job. That, that's not yeah. what I'm saying, but it is a marathon and you have to think about it as like a long game because very, very, very few businesses that are seriously valuable are built in like one, two, three years. Like big businesses are built in like 10 years, 15 years, mm. and it always takes longer than you think. So yeah. enjoying the journey, you know, taking time to, to enjoy yourself and, you know, not, not also once you have enough money starting to like actually pay yourself something that doesn't mean that you're living off ramen and you know not not enjoying life like all of these things i think you you do at the beginning because you think you have to and you have to work 24 hours of the day yeah. and never enjoy yourself but actually like once once you've 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 raised a bit of money and you can you can start to like actually you know uh like look to the horizon a bit more mm. uh i think it's it's really important to enjoy yourself as you go along and and uh yeah, not get too bogged down in the in the detail, because um, otherwise, you know, five years, ten years will have passed you by, and you're you're miserable in your twenties or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Getting that balance right, something I think about a lot for sure. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Love we it. could probably go for three hours, like every episode. Yeah, and this is a sober episode, by the way. You've been on the, the rainbow dust. I know. I'm, um, I'm going to be uh, I'm two on months the out from the London marathon, so I'm trying to cut the drink down. I'm going for <laughs> sub three marathon for the first time. Oh, um, that's yeah, big. if you want to donate to it, by the way, fucking link in the bio. I think I've got like a minimum commitment. I've got a raise, which I haven't done yet. Oh, so I'm probably going to have to pay for it myself. Oh no! Because it was the only way to get a place because I'm because <laughs> I'm running for mind charity or something. But Amazing. anyway, yeah. On that note episode one season two which i'm now calling it cheers for watching subscribe to the pod as usual and we'll see you in the next episode peace